Shalom, and welcome to TanakhStudy.com. This is Menachem Niptak from Alum Shvut. In today's year, we will be studying the second Aliyah in Parshat B'Shalach, in chapter 14, from verses 9 through 13. Before we begin our shir, a quick review of what we discussed yesterday. The two themes converge in the story of the splitting of the Red Sea. First of all, the universal theme, where God is going to punish Egypt and their army and their people for enslaving a migrant population but more so the particular theme where God is redeeming his nation from Egypt, not only to free a slave people, but more so to bring them to Mount Sinai so that they can enter a covenant to become his people forever. In this manner, the drowning of the Egyptian army in the Red Sea will not only serve as a punishment for Egypt, but as we will discuss in our share, it will also help prepare Am Yisrael for their encounter with God at Mount Sinai. The second Aliyah begins as Pharaoh and his army are about to attack Am Yisrael, who have now set up camp by the sea. To understand these events and how they unfold, we have to go and review the key assumptions we made in yesterday's share in regard to God's master plan for the Exodus. First of all, we pointed out that through the entire story of the Exodus, Moshe Rabbeinu never goes to Pharaoh and requests to let my people go or let my people go free. He never requests freedom, nor does he request permission to travel to Israel. Instead, based on what God instructed him at the burning bush, he has one consistent demand to Pharaoh, and that is, send my people out. In other words, we don't need permission to leave Egypt. We need Pharaoh to send the people out, to demand that they go out and serve their God. As far as a lie and not telling the truth, what our true plan is, we suggested that telling the truth would not have been realistic, because no one in Egypt would have ever believed that we could take over two million people through the desert, survive that journey, and be able to conquer the seven nations of Canaan. In the eyes of the Egyptians, and as we will see in today's year as well, in the eyes of most of the Jewish people as well, that entire possibility was not realistic. Instead, Egypt had one fear, not that the Jews would leave Egypt, but rather they would leave slavery and either declare their independence within Egypt, or even worse, possibly join up with an enemy and attack Egypt. Therefore, to convince Pharaoh and the entire Egyptian people that we must serve our God in the desert to stop the plagues, before every plague, Moshe warns, send my people out, otherwise a terrible plague will afflict your people. And sure enough, each of these warnings comes true. After some of the plagues, Pharaoh actually gives in and says, let the men go and serve their God. Later he'll say, even let the women and children go, just leave your cattle behind. And finally, after the 10th plague, they're convinced to send everyone out, just as Moshe Rabbeinu demanded. After these successive plagues, Egypt is totally convinced that the God of the Hebrews is the reason for these plagues. And because Am Yisrael brought the Korban Pesach, and wherever there was a sacrifice brought, the plague did not hit, that convinced Egypt that not only the God of the Hebrews is behind the plague, but the Jewish sacrifice can work and stop a plague. Therefore, Egypt is in a total frenzy to send Am Yisrael out to the desert to serve the God. Therefore, when we leave, everyone in Egypt is willing to lend us whatever we need, expecting that we're going to return after we serve our God. Notice the many times where Chumash uses the word the Garesh to expel Amisar from Egypt as being the primary goal of the Exodus. In the end of Parshat Shemot, where God told Moshe Rabbeinu, asher farol, you'll see what I do to Pharaoh, Notice well, in the opening line of chapter 11, God tells Moshe, one more plague I'm going to bring on Pharaoh, after that plague, not only will Pharaoh send you out, 
when he sends you out, he will totally expel you from the land. And therefore, Daber Nabas Ne'am, therefore, remind the people to borrow from their Egyptian neighbors whatever they can, especially gold and silver and clothing. And as we saw in yesterday's share, they even borrowed arms to protect themselves on the way. And because Egypt declared war on Israel, all the assets and all the items that we borrowed from Egypt are now legally nationalized, and we can also view them as back pay for all our many years of slavery. Finally, one last proof about this concept of being expelled from Egypt. When Chumash describes why we eat matzah when we left Egypt, in chapter 12, verse 39, when this is the Pasuk we quote at the Seder, it says, They bake the dough The dough that we took out of Egypt, we baked them as matzah and not chametz. Why? Because they were expelled from Egypt. They weren't able to linger. We were rushed out of Egypt, not because we were in a rush, rather because the Egyptians rushed us out, as it said back in verse 33. That Egypt strengthened themselves against the people to quickly send them out of the land, because they said, if we don't send them out to serve their God, we are all going to die. After being expelled from Egypt, Amisro begins their journey of a three-day distance into the desert, as I requested. And Chumash described that distance of day one was from Ramses to Sukkot, and distance of day two was from Sukkot to Etam. And in yesterday's share, we discussed how at Etam, everyone is expecting on the next day, they would continue into the desert for the third-day distance of their journey and arrive at Mount Sinai and go serve their God. And that is when God suddenly commands Moshe Rabbeinu in the beginning of chapter 14, to turn around with the entire nation, and instead of going into the desert, as everyone is expecting, to go back towards Egypt, but not back to Ramses to the slavery, but rather go towards southern Egypt to set up camp on the western bank of the Red Sea in order to trick Pharaoh and all of his advisors to think that Am Yisrael is not going to go into the desert and they're not coming back to slavery and think that they're going to become independent, setting up their own nation in southern Egypt. This now becomes a threat to Egyptian security, and Pharaoh immediately decides to put down this rebellion and takes his entire army and marches against Am Yisrael, who is now set up camp by the sea. So let's begin our study in chapter 14, verse 9. Egypt chased after them, and they caught up with Am Yisrael, camped by the sea. All the horses and chariots of Pharaoh Ufarashav, Vichilo, and all of his horsemen and his foot soldiers, Alpiachirot Litnebaut Savon, at the exact location that God had sent them to, by Fiachirot, and in front of Baltsafon, as we explained in yesterday's year, these names might be names of Egyptian places, but they definitely remind us of Chirut of freedom and of the Egyptian god Baltsafon. Ufarohi Kriv, Pharaoh and his army came closer, by Yisubine Israel Amisro lifts up their eyes, Vinay Mitzrayim Nuseacharehim. And behold, what do they see? Egypt is traveling right behind them. They became very fearful, and they cried out to God. Note again in this Pasuk, the word in Hebrew, which is for crying out to God, Rashi understands this as prayer. In fact, Rashi says in a very positive manner, that Bnei Yisrael at this time are following in the footsteps of the forefathers of Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and they are crying out to God in prayer. This explanation is difficult because let's read the next pasuk, and we'll see that they seem to be complaining about God rather than to God. 
in Pasuk Yod Aleph, in verse 11, Vayamru HaMoshe, Hamidli en kvarim b'mitzrayim, lekachtanu lamut b'midbar, ma zote sita lanu, lo tzianu mimitzrayim. And they tell Moshe, were there not enough graves in Egypt? You took us out here to die in the desert? What are you doing to us? They ask. Um, why did you take us out of Egypt? Verse 12, Pasuk This is exactly the thing that we told you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone. Let us serve Egypt. It is much better for us to serve Egypt than to die in the desert. You see from the continuation of their complaint, there's no doubt they're angry with God, and it seems like not that they are crying to God in prayer, but rather they're crying about God, and they're complaining to Moshe, look at this mess you put us into, because they are sure they're about to die, as they're about to be crushed by the Egyptian army. Ramban pays attention to this problem, and he solves it in a very simple manner, quoting the Midrash, Ramban explains as follows, Ramban explains that there were different groups among the people. And these psukim talk about the different groups. One group prays to God, and the other group complains to its leader. And is not willing to accept and recognize the salvation that God is doing for them. And this is very typical throughout Jewish history, that within one nation, there are various groups, some always dedicated to God and some always complaining. Let's go back for a minute to the very beginning of the story of the Exodus, at the end of chapter 2 in Sefer Shemot, and the three psukim that form an introduction to the entire story of redemption. In chapter 2, verse 23, Perik Bet Pasach of Gimel, Vayib ve'yamim harabim ha'em, ve'yamot melech mitzrayim ve'yantchu b'nei Yisrael min ha'avodah ba'iz ako. During that long time, the king of Egypt had died, and Am Yisrael cried out from their hard work, and they complained. And the voice of the cry went up to God from their hard work. Hashem heard the cry. God remembered his covenant to Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Now, these psukim can be understood that Am Yisrael either cried out to God in prayer, and I think the source of Rashi's interpretation, that when they're crying out now to God, they're following in the footsteps of Abba Mitzvah and Yaakov. And it is also supported by later on in chapter 3, the first thing that God tells Moshe Rabbeinu at the burning bush is, Hashem oni ami asher In verse 7, God tells Moshe, I see the suffering of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cry from their oppressors, and I feel for their pain. In addition to this, the verse in Sefer Tvarim, in chapter 26, when we bring our first fruits, the very verse that we quote in the Haggadah, as we tell the story of the Exodus, there we say, We cried out to God, we say, and God heard our cry. So this implies that even from the very beginning of the story of the Exodus, Am Yisrael is crying out to God. However, there's an alternate way of reading those verses at the end of chapter 2. It could be that we were simply crying out of our pain, not to any God specifically, but just to ourselves. If you look how the Turgum Unglus translates the word saka both here in the end of chapter 2, and also in Parsha B'Shalach, in chapter 14, verse 10, he says, which implies that they cried out and complained to God. In contrast to when Moshe davens to God, when God tells Moshe Rabbeinu, 
he translates tzaka, it's tzluta, as prayer. So therefore, there's definitely room among the commentators to either see this tzaka, this cry out, as something positive or something negative. Ramban resolves this problem by claiming there were different groups of people, some complaining to God and some complaining about God. But I would like to share with you the commentary of Chizkuni on the words that begin by Yerum Od and Amiso was very fearful. Listen carefully to what Chizkuni explains. First, he asks a question, Why were the people of Israel so afraid of only 600 chariots coming from Pharaoh? There were 600,000 men. 20 years and up, able men ready to go to war, 600,000 against 600 chariots. And he quotes the Pasuk, We went out of Egypt and we were armed. So Chizkuni claims it wasn't a fear from the military perspective, rather it was a psychological one. Chizkuni explains they were afraid to fight with their masters. This is similar to a slave who is always afraid of his master. I would like to use this interpretation by Chizkuni to go back to our general theme that we talked about in yesterday's year as well, that one of the goals of splitting of the sea is not only to punish the Egyptians, but it is also to prepare Am Yisrael for Mount Sinai. The first thing we need to do is to break the slave mentality of the people. And when someone lives under slavery for their entire life, it's very hard to look at their previous masters and not be afraid of them. God would like to translate this mentality of total fear of Egypt as their masters to a fear and awe of God who they will later serve in Mount Sinai. To do so, we need a traumatic event. We need to show the people that there's a God way more powerful than their old Egyptian masters. And the events that happened at the Red Sea will accomplish this goal. We can also infer from these verses that we just read that if not all, at least many members of Am Yisrael seem to have an attitude problem in the relationship with God. As this attitude problem and lack of readiness for redemption will be the key to our explanations of the events that transpire in Parsha B'Shalach, I would like to support this with the source first from the book of Yechezkel and then earlier sources in the book of Shemot. Recall that Yechezkel is a prophet who went into exile 11 years before the first temple was destroyed, together with the elite group that was sent out of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, together with King Yehoiachim. Five years into their exile, the leaders of this community sit before Yechezkel and they demand from their rabbi to pray for them, to demand that God bring them back to their land and redeem them, because remember, it's still five years before the temple will be destroyed. Now, Yechezkel knows the temple is going to be destroyed, and there's no hope for those in Jerusalem, and he's trying to encourage the people in Babel, in exile, to settle down, because they will become later the future of the Jewish people, but it'll be another seven years until they can return. He tells them as follows, he has to explain to them why they are not worthy of redemption. And he tells them in chapter 20, verse 4, instead of begging for redemption, instead give them rebuke and tell them how bad they are. And tell them, way back when I wanted to take you out of Egypt, I had great plans for you and I wanted you to accept me even before the time of the Exodus. And in verse 7, he explains to them as follows. Again, chapter 20, verse 7 in the book of Echezkel, the Amar Lehem, I told you back at that time, before you left Egypt, 
איש שיקוצי עיניו השליחו, ובגילולי מצרים אל תטמאו. Everyone should get rid of their bad Egyptian ways and their Egyptian culture and their gods. אני אדוני אלוהיכם, I am Hashem your God. ויאמרובי, they rebelled against me back in Egypt, before they left, before the plagues began. ולא אבו לשמוע אליי, they did not want to listen to me, they did not obey me. איש את שיקוצי עיניהם לא השליחו, ואת גילולי מצרים לא עזבו. No one got rid of their bad Egyptian ways. ואמר, and God said, לשפוך חמתי עליהם, לחלות אפי בהם בתוך ארץ מצרים. God wanted to punish them and destroy them when they were still in Egypt. Nonetheless, Yechezko explains, for the sake of God's name and his reputation, I took you out of Egypt anyhow, with the hope that you would do better once I bring you into the desert. Sforno uses these psukim to explain in his introduction to Sefer Shemot why the enslavement was so harsh. And Ebenezer uses these psukim as well in many of his interpretations in the beginning of Sefer Shemot. This rebuke of Am Yisrael, which is explicit in the book of Yechezkel, is alluded to already back in Sefer Shemot in the beginning of Parshat Vayera. In chapter 6, verse 6, Moshe is told by God, L'chein emor livni Yisrael ani Hashem, go tell Am Yisrael, again, before we leave Egypt, I am Hashem, I am your God, v'otzeiti etchem, v'itzalti etchem, v'gaalti etchem, verses we're all familiar with from the Seder, v'lekakti etchem l'ilaam, v'yiti etchem l'elohim, v'yiti etchem l'aretz, until finally, Ani Hashem. God tells Moshe to tell the people, I am their God, and I want to redeem you. I want to save you from Egypt. I want to bring you to Mount Sinai. I want to bring you to the land of Israel. I want you to become my people. But you have to understand, Ani Hashem, I am your boss. I am your God. I want you to work for me. Ani Hashem implies they have to accept God as their boss and get rid of their bad ways. And therefore, in verse 9, when it says, Vaidaber Moshe Kena B'nai Israel, Moshe told this to B'nai Israel, Shomuel Moshe, they did not obey Moshe. It is not that they did not listen to him or hear what he said or believe what he said. They did not obey what he said. But Sefer Shemot gives a good excuse. And Sefer Shemot, Amisar has a good excuse because they suffered under so much slavery. What can you expect from them? I would like to share with you in Mechilted Rabbi Shmuel on Parshat Bo and Pasuk in chapter 12, verse 21, where God tells Moshe to tell the people, Everyone should draw their hand and take a Korban Pesach. There the Mechelta comments, Moshe told them, Take your hands away from idol worship and now start attaching yourself to keeping mitzvot. In other words, the Mechelta explains that the main reason we have the commandment to bring a Korban Pesach was to train on Israel to keep the mitzvot and make them worthy of redemption. Rabbi Yudh ben Betera Omer, Rabbi Yudh ben Betera said, Harihu Omer, V'losh Shemuel al-Moshe, Mikot Tzabruach, Mi'avadah Kasha. Just like the Pasuk said in Parshat Vayera, they did not listen to Moshe because of their lack of spirit and from their hard work. V'chiyesh l'cha adam, Shu mitpaser b'sorah tova v'ena sameach? Have you ever heard of a person who hears such a great news of redemption and isn't happy? The Mechild is bothered by why does the Pasuk say, after Moshe told them that they're going to be redeemed, why are they not happy? How come it says, Moshe, that they did not listen to Moshe? It doesn't make sense. They should be happy. What's there not to listen to? If that's the case, why does the Pasuk say the people who did not listen to Moshe? It was difficult for them to detach themselves from their idol worship and from their Egyptian ways. And he quotes again the Pesukim in Yechezkel, 
ואמר להם, איש שקוצה עיניו השליחו ובגילולי מצרים אל תתאמרו. And afterwards it says, ויאמר, ויאמרו ויב לא עבוד ישמעו אליי. So the מחיאות הקודס, the exact same פסוקים that we quoted from Yechezkel. And then he explains how he dichtiv, and that is exactly why it's written later on, ויידבר השם המשה באלרון, ויצווינו בני ישראל, להוציא את בני ישראל מארץ מצרים. That's why right afterwards, after it says that people who do not listen to Moshe, or that they do not obey Moshe, God tells Moshe, go again, go not only to Pharaoh, go also to Bnei Yisrael, and command them to make themselves worthy of being taken out of Egypt. So there's no doubt that according to the Mechilta, Am Yisrael, even before they leave Egypt, and again, as they leave Egypt, is far from ready to become God's people, we have to break their Egyptian mentality, their slave mentality, their culture, and we have to re-educate an entire generation. That would take a lot of work, and that will be Moshe Rabbeinu's job for the next 40 years. Therefore, before they get to our Sinai, they need to go through several weeks of activities to change the frame of mind to make them ready. And one of these first activities will be the splitting of the sea. God brings them to a point where they see the Egyptian army attacking. They're terribly scared. There'll be a traumatic experience, but it's an experience that they need to go through to break this slave mentality and break their dependence on Egypt and on their Egyptian culture as well. Before we continue, let's go back and read again verse 12, Pasuk Yud Bet, in chapter 14. This is what we told you back in Egypt. Leave us alone and let us serve Egypt. We see, as we explained before, that the very idea of taking the entire nation into the desert seemed in the eyes of the people was something suicidal. And this passage also supports very well what we said in the beginning of our shir, that the very idea of taking the entire nation out of Egypt through the desert into Canaan was not realistic. And had Moshe gone to Pharaoh and requested such a thing, he would never have taken him seriously. Let's continue now with Pasuk Yud Gimel, verse 13 in chapter 14. Moshe will now respond to the people and their complaints. Don't be afraid. Stand straight. Be ready to witness and see the salvation of God that he will do for you today. Because the way that you see Egypt today, you will never see them like this again forever. God will fight for you. And you be quiet and sit back and witness God's salvation. Moshe's answer to the people at first glance seems to be very simple. He says, don't worry, sit back and watch and God will redeem you. Ramban, however, gives a very different explanation. He says, this is not a promise that you will be saved from Egypt. And this is not a promise that Egypt will never attack you again. Rather, Ramban explains that this is a positive commandment never to look at the Egyptians as your masters forever. Ramban explains as follows, Adat Rabotenu, quoting the Yerushalmi in Mesechet Sukkah, chapter 5, He mitzvat lo tasev This is a commandment for all generations. Vimkein yomara katuv, therefore the Pasuk is saying, Atira'u is forbidden to be fearful. Stay where you are and look how God is going to redeem you. HaKadosh Baruch Hu od shelo tosifu bilzonchem lirotam miatavar olam. God is commanding you never again on your own will to look at Egypt this way. In other words, what Ramban is explaining is that it is forbidden for Am Yisrael to go to Egypt for help. 
to look to the Egyptians as their masters. This he supports from the Pasuk in Sefer Devarim, chapter 17, in the laws of the king. One of the three laws that a king is forbidden to do is loya susim. He cannot have too many horses. And the reason that Sefer Devarim gives for why it is forbidden for a king to have too many horses, v'lo yeshiv et laman because he doesn't want the king to bring the nation back to Egypt in order to buy more horses. Vashem amar and God told you back before the splitting of the sea, lo tosifun He commanded you, never look at the Egyptians the way you do now. In other words, based on these Pesukim and Sefer Tvarim, Ramban understands that the way that Am Yisrael now is scared and fearful of Egypt, it is forbidden for Am Yisrael to be so fearful of a foreign power in that way. And therefore, don't build your army in such a way that you're dependent on Egyptian help. Build your army in such a way that you're dependent on God. Therefore, Ramban claims that this verse is not a promise that Egypt will never attack you again, but rather it's a commandment never to look at Egypt as your master ever again. I'd like to conclude this year with the comment of Eben Ezra on this very same verse. He says, He asks a question very similar to what Chizkuni said earlier. How could a great camp of 600,000 men be afraid of this Egyptian army of 600 chariots? Why don't they stand up and fight? Why is God telling them to stand back and watch? The answer, Ebenezer says, The Egyptians were the masters of Israel. This entire generation that went out of Egypt, they were used to accepting the yoke of Egypt, and they had very little faith in themselves. Everything was dependent on Egypt. How could they possibly fight against their master? The people of Israel were very weak. They did not know how to fight war. Look what happens. Amalek came a small group of soldiers. Had Moshe not them for them, Amalek would have been able to defeat them. And then Ebenezer concludes and says, this may be the reason why it took 40 years before Amisar goes into Israel. He explains, This generation would never have the strength to fight the Canaanites. We had to wait for a new generation to grow up, a generation of the desert, they did not know what exile was like in Egypt. They never knew what it was to be enslaved by someone else. By Telem Nefesh they had a much higher spirit. So Ebenezer is giving a much wider angle view and explaining pretty much that the first generation coming out of Egypt was bound to fail. Now, that doesn't mean they had to fail. He's just explaining that there was a very good chance that it would never work. The second Aliyah now concludes as Amisra waits to see God's salvation. And as we will see in tomorrow's share, that Dr. Zikr will continue, this will lead to the great events of the splitting of the sea and the song that Am Yisrael sings.